Morgan here, and I just wanted to leave a quick note about the audio. Due to some circumstances within and without of my control, the audio is a little rocky on this one, and I plan to continue to work on it as well as repost a new episode as soon as I'm able to do that. However, I wanted to make sure to make my first of the month deadline. So I'm just warning you about the audio quality on here, even though this is a great story about China and visiting Vietnam, that's worth putting out there. I hope you enjoy it, and thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to Women Travel, a podcast about the places women have been and the things they did there. This week, I have Cass Kurt. How are you doing, Cass? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Uh, so, Cass, leading off, what is a travel tip that you have? So, I think my travel tip is that even if you don't do a lot of research about where you're going, do a little bit, not just like the fun things to do, but like, how is the weather? And is the bus system easy to navigate? Or, you know, how do you kind of plan to travel around said place? So a little bit of research can go quite a ways or just like the research of, you know, if you're going somewhere where you don't understand the language, um, download a dictionary or, you know, a you know, one of those translation apps. Um, for China, I did not know if I should trust Google Translate, so I downloaded Pleco. And Pleco is great for written things as well. You can take a picture and offline, you don't need Wi-Fi, you can figure out what the characters mean. So if you're not sure, like, what am I ordering on this menu? You know, yeah, Pleco is great. I love Pleco. How do you spell that? P-L-E-C-O. That's good to know, because... Uh, a lot of Eastern languages is they don't really translate. They don't use the same alphabet. Wait, well, yeah. So I think that might be, um, I think that one's Chinese specific. So there's probably a lot of other ones out there. Just That's the one I'm most familiar with. <laughs> awesome. That's a great tip. This might feel out of left field, but so I really love this story of how you would uh, take the bus and go to a very particular place after school when you were in high school can you tell me that story and your history with Vietnamese food yeah sure okay so that place is Dong Kong it's like the local um, southeast Boise Vietnamese place um, I think they opened in 1994 so it's literally as old as I am um, my yeah. family was here in 2000 so we started going about then and then so when I was in high school I wanted to work there because I really enjoyed the food but I was always, I would always get there at the wrong time because they close at three and reopen at four thirty. Because the main cooks are also, you know, parents with kids to pick up from school and that kind of thing. So I would always, and of course, three o'clock. That's when school ends. So that's when I would get there, and I'd be like, "Darn, they're closed. Do I want to wait here for an hour and a half, like, to try and get a job that I'm probably not qualified for, you know, or whatever?" Um, and so I didn't realize every time they have the now hiring sign in the window, it's not for dishwashers or back of the house. It's for front of the house, which means that I would have needed to be 19 anyway. So that wouldn't have worked, and that was totally fine. So I didn't get that. That was not my first job. Um, I did a bunch of other stuff, and I was working in kitchens, and uh, there was always, like, this tension between, like, front of the house and back of the house, and back of the house was always like, oh, front of the house is stupid. They did this ticket wrong, something, Right. And, like, this is pretty common, right? And so I was like, why is that? Why did they get so much flack? And I tried to just be a server at the restaurant I was cooking at. I thought it would be a great fit because I already know what's in all the food and all the recipes and everything. Um, but they didn't like that because I didn't look the right way, I think. And mm -hmm. so I was like, 
well, screw you guys. I'm going to go. And so I did. I ended up being a server at this Vietnamese restaurant. So, and it was kind of funny because you're like, oh, Vietnamese restaurant. And all the servers, like the main manager, she's a Latino girl that speaks Spanish fluently. And then like the rest of us are white kids. And we're like, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you hire some Vietnamese people to serve? And like their thing is that they didn't want to pull family into the restaurant business because of course they want their family to go to college and get great jobs. And you know, the son's going to be a doctor and the <laughs> middle two um, daughters are, you know, doing else what with what degrees they got. And so they were trying not to pull more of the Vietnamese community into just this kind of role. So mm -hmm. I've been for six years now and like, I've loved their food for the past 20 years. And so I think 2000, uh, I don't know, 15 was my first time when I was actually in culinary school. And I was like, you know, I'm tired of Boise. I want to go somewhere. And so just, I was like, okay, I just need to save up like this amount of money. And then I will go. And I traveled here for about a month. And, and first week was with my sister and the last three weeks were by myself. And so that started it. And after that, I'm like, you know what? Every year I'm going to go somewhere else for a month. And so that's what started it. And so I think it was 2019. I did. I finally got to Vietnam and I mainly like convinced my husband to go with me to Vietnam because I love the food so much. <laughs> so that's what started that. I love that. So how would you, I don't want to say like, how would you compare the two foods, but um, did you have that moment where you're like, Hey, they were doing it pretty spot on or like recognizing yeah. foods. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure, like the entire time. And I was like, especially when I came back, there's one thing that I really love. It's the Vietnamese crepe or like rice flour crepe. It's real crispy on the outside. It's usually got stuff like baked into it, but the way they do it at my restaurant, they um, do the crepe crispy and then they put the stuff on top and fold it over. Um, so it's not like baked into it. But I was like, soon does it the street style way. I love it. And her sister does it like the restaurant nice way, which of course is like more grease and fat versus less grease and fat. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I was like, so I was like making those comparisons and like, how is this? Oh yeah, they do it this way and they do this sauce and this sauce, but this is too like common too. So when I came back and I could tell customers like, hey, this is really common instead if you don't, like if you an allergy to shellfish or fish sauce or something like that, you can substitute with this. And this is really common in Vietnam, you know, this kind of thing. So it was kind nice. of fun. Yeah, it was a good time. That is, yeah, it's really cool, especially with your culinary background of just being able to be like, oh, I'm, you're kind of an expert on food. And so it's fun, uh, more, more easy to compare. Yeah, yeah. So, so to, to an extent. And I always like berate myself like while I'm going around that I don't try and talk to the locals more and find out like how they're making the food. And I just like watch and I'm the, I'm the people watcher and not the people talker, you know? So uh -huh. I'll always berate myself like, Oh, I could have learned so much more if I had just like gotten up the courage to use this tiny fragment of Chinese that I know or tiny fragment of Chinese or whatever language it is to try and learn more about whatever it is I actually want to learn more about. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think? I don't know. What do you think is the, the nervousness, the, the maybe blockage there? Um, part of it is when I do use like, okay, so Chinese language has 
five tones if we're including the neutral tone. And I've learned enough of this that I can get by with certain things in Chinese. When I went to Vietnam, Vietnam has six tones. And for whatever reason, I don't understand Vietnamese tones. I understand Chinese tones, but I don't understand Vietnamese tones. So I would try to say something really simple and they would just look at me. And so I'd be like, try it a little different. And they would still just look at me. And then I'm like, I'm just trying to say noodles. Why is this so hard? No, I would say in English. And then they would be like, oh. And then they would say what I, like my ear says, I said exactly the same thing. And they're like, oh, okay. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm just not doing this. <laughs> I could understand what they were telling me, but they literally would never understand what I was telling them. And so that was mm -hmm. a big part of Vietnam. In other places, it's just that, like, I'm not confident enough to string together enough of the words to make sense. <laughs> mm -hmm. And there, there's enough body language and pointing to things and whatnot that you can do, and it's great, it works, it's fine. Um, but I always wish that I would get a little bit more confident, and just because the more you speak, the better you get at it, right? Do you think that experiencing with the Chinese culture, like the um, tonal regulation, do you think that that kind of changes how you communicate. And I know that it was kind of a limited experience. So I was just wondering about that. Because personally, I suck at tone regulation and tone moderation. Like I really can't hide what I'm feeling. Like the most I can do is just like kind of get flat. Right. So, so I think it's interesting because we, like in the English language, use tones mostly as indicators of emotion or if you're asking the question or, you know, how you're going about the conversation. But since their tones are like part of their actual language and the way that, you know, this makes this word, but this sound makes this word instead, I feel like while I was there, a lot of the time, they yell at each other all the time. And it, I thought it was funny. So I was like, oh my gosh, are they mad? No, they're not mad. It's just how they talk. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, maybe it's just because it's so crowded all the time. You feel like you have to yell to be heard. And so I don't know. So I don't know that the language, like the tonal, really made a huge difference in the way that you can understand. I think maybe, if anything, it helps them hide their emotions and their feelings better um, because they just have to do the same tones no matter what. Oh, so it can be sort of deceptive. It can be kind of deceptive. Yeah. Not as much of a lead. Unless they're just like going free for all. And there were a couple times there would be a Chinese lady yelling into her phone, like screaming into her phone and like having her head against the tree. She's, I don't know, having a really bad day. And everyone just walked by. No big deal. This is totally commonplace. Like <laughs> to me, I was like, that's crazy. And then everyone's else like, yep, blah, blah, blah. Just carry on with their conversations. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I wouldn't how common that was because I was there during COVID so there were quite a few like less people out and about than I think would be typical and so I was like I wonder how common this is if I'm still seeing this <laughs> I lost my train of thought sorry one second you're good and kind of backtracking a little bit where did you go in Vietnam so in Vietnam we were there for about a month and we started um southern so like Saigon Ho Chi Minh City and kind of slowly worked our way up. Um, so we went from there, and I think we touched down in Cameron, which is not a tourist city at all. I think we might have been like the only white people there at the time we were there. And then from there, we went to like um, 
Nassang, which is sort of where apparently all the Russians come to vacation, which I thought was really interesting. Um, because, yeah, so many white people, and every so often they would come up to us and rattle off some Russian, and I'd be like, sorry, don't speak Russian. Oh, walk away. Like, so disappointed. Come on. <laughs> yeah, and then we went up to Wei, which is sort of, you know, that uh, DMZ zone is where it was during the war, and so they have all that kind of stuff. And then also Wei is like the homeland of the dish Bumble Wei, um, which is sort of like spicy, but it's a little bit different, of course. Um, but that's sort of homeland of that. And then I think from there, we kind of skipped up and went to Hanoi. And then mm-hmm. from Hanoi, we went over to Halong Bay, so coastal and like, you know, all the beautiful scenery you see with the cool Vietnamese boats and stuff. That's where that's at. Um, and then Sapa is more inland. So more of the, um, I want to say like indigenous peoples, they have more mm-hmm. of that culture there. Um, so yeah, so I thought it was a pretty good tour, but I realized we kind of stuck to the coast for the most part, because that's where more of the people are and whatnot. And I kind of wish we would have gone inland just a little bit more to see more variety of just everything. <laughs> hmm. It was a good trip. I feel like we got a good swap, but we didn't ever go south of Saigon, so we didn't see, um, I don't remember what it's called, the Kuchi Tunnels. Or not, so we didn't see any of that part. Um, what are the Coochie Tunnels? So I think during the war, this is the part of Vietnam that was not particularly successful. Like the Americans were there, but they were still like extreme poverty, extremely poor. And so they did not like the Americans being there. But this is very southern Vietnam. And so they made themselves a bunch of these really small tunnels going in and out of the earth and so that they could ambush American uh, soldiers and, and American forces, essentially, and try to force them out. And then, of course, I think part of the tunnels, they started to expand when uh, they started dropping um, the orange, I don't remember what it's called, horrible chemical mm-hmm. attack. Right. So they started dropping that. So they actually ended up going underground a lot more and sort of building like places to stay underground so that they could avoid this part of the war. Um, so I didn't see that. We saw some of those tunnels around way because um, they have similar things. Uh, apparently, the ones away are much larger, which is really saying something because like you can kind of barely get through in parts of it because we're Americans and we're quite a bit larger. <laughs> um, but they would be like, this is where the kids would study or would learn school from, you know, the Vietnamese women that would be down here. And this is where um, the women would give birth if they had to. And, you know, kind of like underground, mm. but not. <laughs> mm-hmm. so it was really interesting, like how they adapted, how they tried to get this over with, essentially. Yeah. How do you feel about, like, the historical impact Um in that, in that place and being able to witness that firsthand. So I think that was really interesting. And like, you know, I think a lot of Americans now would agree that like, we should not have been there. Um, and that's like extra true when you go, you're like, yeah, there was, we did not need to be there. We did not need to try and force our way of life on them. Like, even though they're slowly like, con- I don't know, I don't want to call it converting, but they're starting to go more against communism tendencies and more towards capitalism tendencies but so i it, it was interesting 
um, to see. But then most of the people that we um, talked to were like, yeah, we don't really hold a big grudge against Americans in general. They're like, because we were occupied by the Chinese for a thousand years. Then we were occupied by the French for 200 years. Then the Americans came along. You guys were here for a short amount of time, but you were extremely destructive. So now we have all these museums, which attract American tourism. So it was really interesting. I was like, I don't think I quite get, you know, the public opinion really on how it is. But I know we met a French guy and he would always say that when he met, you know, would be talking with Vietnamese people, he would tell them that he was Canadian because he didn't want to be French in Vietnam. I was like, that's that's interesting. Okay. (laughs) I want to ask you this question, but I also absolutely respect the fact that you're not like an expert necessarily on these relations. But what is the attitude between like China and Vietnam in your opinion? Well, which is really interesting to me at least because the Vietnamese culture does not want to be confused with Chinese culture at all, even though they have a lot of Vietnamese culture like baked in from the amount of time that China occupied Vietnam. But at the same time, then Vietnam is the new China and that's where all the factories are being created. And so China is shifting their low wage labor jobs over to Vietnam because Vietnam's even cheaper than China right now. And I don't, so I don't really know the uh, relationship that well. It seemed, it seemed really interesting to me. I was like, I wonder how they feel about this. And I don't know. I don't think I ever really got a clear, (laughs) and no, I'm definitely not an expert. I don't know anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's just more like, like what, you know, when you watch a culture, when you interact with a culture, like you can glean information, but like, it's only maybe intuitive rather than factual sometimes. We're kind of transitioning to China. How did you end up teaching in China? So I ended up teaching in China because my middle sister, Danielle, decided to teach in China in 2016. And so I went and visited her and that was my first trip to China for about a month. And she did not actually enjoy her experience that much, which you'd be like, well, why does that make you want to go? Because why would you? Um, She ended up teaching uh, like community college kids in which Mm -hmm. English was a required course for them. But her like grading had no impact on their final grade. So she could fail students because they wouldn't participate. They wouldn't turn in assignments. They wouldn't do all these things but they would end up passing the class because the college wants it to look like their students are doing well. Mm. And so I think that was extremely frustrating for her. So you'd be like, why do you want it? Well, I still wanted to go because I really like enjoyed China while I was visiting. So I was like, well, if I am there for a little bit longer and maybe a different part of the country, um, I'll learn more and I'll, enjoy it and you know maybe it was just her particular setting and I think that is kind of what it ended up being it was kind of her particular setting because they're not all like that a lot of the times they if you're a native speaker they want you with the young kids because you don't really have to worry about grammar and a lot of the specifics that like even like American kids don't get very well right Um, but you are a native speaker, so it just flows off your tongue so easily, and so the kids will start to mimic you the way you speak. And so 
that's what I learned is that her situation was kind of an anomaly in that they, they put her with the older kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So I guess that's how that idea got in my brain that like, yeah, this would be just like a great way. And then also while I was going to BSU and getting my bachelor's. And so I was like, I could do this as internship credits and like marry these two things. So I get the best of both worlds. I'm still technically like in school, but I'm not really in school. (laughs) Right. So that was, that was the idea behind going and teaching English over there for six months. The contract is technically five and a half months. You end up being there for six months. So it's perfect. Did you uh, get credit for it? So I got six um, credits out of the nine that I was hoping for. And I think the only reason I didn't get the last three is because China's firewalls made it so that I could not contact BSU anymore. So it was really interesting to kind of feel like you're watched every so often in that like I had access to a lot of these different sites when I started and then they sort of started going away (laughs) while I was there. Oh, wow which I thought was interesting because why do you want to cut me off from like my power bill? (laughs) That was one of the things is I would go online and I would pay power for the apartment that we were in. And then suddenly I couldn't do it. (laughs) And I was like, why? Oh no. It was interesting. Yeah. It was fine. But yeah, it was interesting. So that's why I didn't get all the credits I was hoping for, but I I got six credits and I feel like that's all right. And enough for six credits, I hope. (laughs) So I got to ask, what what are your thoughts on food in China? I love real Chinese food. And a big part of that probably is that one of the places I ended up teaching, they had like the school cafeteria system was extremely good. So it it fed the kids, whatever the heck, you know, they were going to eat, but it also fed all the teachers. So I didn't even have to like, think about what I was going to eat or like how I was going to try and choose all these things. They just fed me delicious things all the time. And I couldn't even tell you what most of it is. They just, they use such a huge variety of vegetables that we don't have here. And, you know, they, a huge variety of different spices and peppers and other stuff. And I like, I can't, I don't even know what most of it is. So I can like try and find the things that I remember really clearly, um, but I could never make it on my own because I just don't have access to a lot of that stuff, I think. And just like the amount of variety that they make out of the same ingredients is amazing. Why do you think they have such a higher variety of vegetables available? I mean, part of that is that maybe when they, you know, started cultivating agriculture and whatnot, they experimented a lot more than we did. They decided that looks didn't matter. And so they just went purely on, you know, what would grow well in their region, which in uh, a lot of China, you know, like the middle to southern, I think, kind of like the United States, I think the latitudes are um fairly similar there's a lot of variety that you can grow when it's fairly wet and lush and warm and so they could experiment like year round i guess take like what was 
your experience teaching in China? Was it, it sounds like it was just um, more spending time with the younger kids. Yeah. How did, how did your experience feel overall? So I think like I lucked out that I got there 2020 right before they shut everything down. I got there about a week before they shut everything down. And so I started like my first job that first week was teaching um, kids more like at a learning center, you know, like an at an after school center, but kids like three, four years old. And so it was just like me and five kids. And so that's all you had to do me and five kids for about an hour on like a certain set of subjects. So like that was fine. And I was like, okay. And then they shut everything down. And then I went online, like online kids that young, I think they decided I wasn't ready for that. So they reached out and they found a bunch of kids like over China. So like somewhere in Chengdu, somewhere in Xi'an, somewhere in like other provinces and smaller towns. Um, And I had kids from about 10 years old to 18. And so I had this huge swath now of like an hour here with three kids in junior high, an hour here with five kids in high school, an hour here with three kids in elementary school. And so I had to adapt a lot and do all of these different classes throughout about two months. So I did that for about two months. And sometimes you would have the same students week after week after week. And sometimes they would change and they wouldn't tell me. And so I was like, I don't know who I have this time. This week might be a surprise. I got lucky in having like a few of my groups like consistently for like five or six weeks. And so it was really, I don't know, it was really awesome, like watching their, like watching them learn and like just remembering at the beginning them having trouble with these things and at the end and being like, oh, not sure, we already know this. Like, (laughs) teacher, we already understand this. And I was like, okay, okay, (laughs) hold on, sorry. (laughs) You didn't like two weeks ago. (laughs) Nice. So that was. To like see them progress. Yeah, to see them progress. It was a lot. it was a good time. And then, of course, it could be stressful because it was all online. Like, most of it was through WeChat, like, funnily enough. And some of it was through a different app called Class In, which was okay, but it would work generally pretty well for me. But for, like, my coworker, the other English teacher that they started setting these classes up for, it, like, worked half the amount of time. So they ended up just not using it for either of us. Just ended up going back to WeChat and doing mostly like conversation and reading and that kind of stuff. Um, And then so after that, then they're like, okay, this work, like the agency that I was being paid through and who paid for my apartment, they're not being paid for me to do these classes to these kids. This is sort of like a promotional aspect for them, I think. After that, they're like, okay, Shanghai's not open yet, but two hours south is this other small town and they haven't had any COVID cases. So their schools are opening up. So we're sending you there. You get to teach all these kids. I was like, okay. So I went from Shanghai to Hangzhou Bay. And that is where I had my classes of primarily like three to four year olds. And it started with them being like 15 kids in each class. And I was there, like it was usually an hour, two hours each day of me actually being like the primary teacher of this English art. Um, And then the other time was me just speaking English to them as they go around doing all their other activities and whatnot. That worked. And then they are also like, wait, we haven't gotten enough money from you. So we're going to also put you into these other after-school classes for this other school. It's a couple of blocks away. You got to walk 20 minutes from this other school you're at. 
to walk there. And then each week you would have a different set of kids. And sometimes they were four, sometimes they were five. I think I might even gotten six-year-olds once. Like, it was crazy. So it was like uh, groups of five, groups of 10. And then I think the last week I had groups of 15 in this one week kind of like crash course for this other school that doesn't have a native speaker. Yeah, and then at the end of my time there, the school that I was at, it was a new school, which meant it was still enrolling constantly. And so by the end, I had like 20 kids in each class. So can you imagine 24-year-olds all running around and like trying to teach them English? Like, <laughs> But it ended up being like just having all these different experiences teaching. I thought like I was super lucked out. <laughs> and then at the same time, I had like a couple of weeks that I was there and I wasn't teaching. So all I did was walk around and explore the community and there was a couple places open, the grocery store and a couple little shops. And I would go and I would eat at these places and kind of talk to the owners of the shop and whatnot and and just kind of hang out and have a great time and read all my books online. And so it was kind of funny. It ended up, yeah, I super lucked out <laughs> with COVID, which I don't think most people would be able to say that. <laughs> Can you... Uh, yeah, can you elaborate for me why you consider that lucking out? Because in my mind, I'm just like, that's uh, that that would get really frustrating for me to not have kind of that pattern. Could you clarify on why I would okay, be so, so frustrated? So I like I probably would have been frustrated. And some of the online teaching was frustrating because I was like, I don't know like who my kids are this week. I don't know how many classes I'm doing this week. The technology is sometimes great and it sometimes sucks. Like that was could be irritating for sure but I think back and when I got there I was taking over for a different American kid who had this is his first time out of country I think so he didn't think it would be useful to learn Chinese while he was there and I don't know he didn't make any friends and at this like after school learning center that I was going to be at there weren't any other um, native speakers or you know foreign teachers so it was just me. And he told me that the other lady that you end up working with is extremely career driven. So if you don't, don't, you don't do something right. She is just like falls of fire. Like, you know, she is on your butt. And he's like, I don't understand. Like, this is my first ever, like trying to teach little kids. I don't know what's happening, <laughs> you know? And mm-hmm. so he ended up really not getting along with her. And because he was at this place, he ended up not really making any like meaningful connections like at the place that we um were housed at the apartment complex he said he met the guy next door that was a russian guy and he did end up going like a couple places with him but most of his experience like from what i gathered was that he was kind of introverted so he didn't end up making a lot of these friends he didn't end up exploring as much as i think would have been expected for like this is pre-covid he had all the freedom in the world (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? Like, you, you didn't do anything is kind of what it sounded like. And I was like, that's like not a great sign because I'm kind of introverted. And I don't know if I would have got like done any better. Um, and so I was lucky because I didn't, I ended up working there. So I got just a, just a small amount of like experience in this so that when I went to the next thing, I wasn't totally hopeless. Um <laughs> And then when I went there, I met an Italian girl that I still talk to, Laura, and we're still friends. And we like kind of 
helped each other a lot on a lot of the online stuff and the online issues and just having a person that you could vent to constantly. And that was great. And then when I went to the next place, they had another, um, another foreign teacher. This is a Russian girl named Olga and she was totally normal or <laughs> I should say she's not totally normal. She was crazy. She was so crazy. <laughs> it was funny. Um, and then of course I thought, last school is also where I met uh, Kiki and she or Kiki and Coco and those two were like the main like Chinese teachers that also spoke English and Kiki had her master's in English language and so she spoke quite well Coco not as much but she was really good natured and she was just always super fun so it was just like because I didn't end up at that first place I had all these different relationships that I made and it ended up, like, I feel like I really lucked out and had all these different relationships and all these different, like, experiences. Versus if I had stuck with the first one, if I had been there, like, and that would have been totally fine. It would have been great. But at the same time, it was um, one hour of class and you would have maybe two of them um, the entire day. And then the rest of the day, you're supposed to be, like, making your plan for the rest of the week and whatnot. And so it's like, mm-hmm. so you're making me work for two hours and then I'm I'm required to be in this building, like doing nothing because it does not take that long to make a lesson plan. It really doesn't, especially for four-year-olds. Um, and I don't have anyone to talk to while I'm here, like, because the other lady is super career focused and she doesn't want to talk. She doesn't want to like have a great, she doesn't want to have a good time. And then they go out and typically what he told me is that the first couple of times they brought him um, with them to go out to lunch or whatnot. He's like, but then after that, they decided I wasn't interesting enough and they started going without me. And then I just had to like find somewhere to go for lunch by myself. And I was like, that's not like his experience just sounded so incredibly lonely. I was like, I'm glad I didn't end up there. <laughs> right. So, like you yeah. got to see a whole bunch of different communities and kind of work with that. Places and a whole bunch of different people and a whole bunch of different kids too. Like I really loved all the kids I ended up with in my classes. Um, they're super cute. Most of them are super cute. <laughs> <laughs> They're not all super cute. They're not all super cute. Not like like physically <laughs> not cute or whatnot. Just like the ones that were like, oh, we don't like this teacher. Mm. <laughs> and you'd be like, come on, all your other friends love this game. Why don't you love this game? And I've just got my last question kind of wrapping up. But what is something that you're hopeful about? Um, I mean, I am hopeful that we will eventually all be vaccinated and we will all get to go traveling again because that is the grand goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's um, next on your, what's next on the docket for you? So, I mean, what would have been next? I think 20, like the end of 2020, we were going to go to Germany um, because one of our friends was living in England. So we're like, oh, we'll stop in England real quick to see her and then we'll go to Germany because Sean really has always wanted to go there. Um, so, I mean, everything's next on the docket. Germany, Japan, Korea, Italy, Greece, like all those things are all up there. It just depends on when we actually end up getting to go. <laughs> so, and especially Italy, now that I have um, my Italian friend in China, she will finally go home, I think next year or the year after. Um, she's kind of waiting for the Italian economy to get better as well, because she uh, is a teacher and she has experience here in China now. But if she goes back home, she won't have a job. Um, which is really sad. And she said she left specifically for that reason as well, in that the Italian economy, you have to take a specific test to certify yourself as a teacher, but you can only take this test like certain years 
And then also the other, like the teachers that are still working have to, enough of them have to retire in order for them to offer the test to people that already have their master's and whatnot. And so you have to wait for these people to retire and then, then you get to take the test and then you can start applying for jobs. But until enough people retire, you can't even take the test. You can't even like start. (laughs) So I was like, that sounds crazy, but okay. (laughs) It sounds like a lot of competition for the job. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So it sounds like it's a lot of competition and they don't even basic, basically they won't even let you try and compete until enough people retire. And like, right, I guess the Italian economy has not been great for a while, which means people aren't retiring. <laughs> so sure. I don't know. She tried to explain it to me and I feel like I kind of understand it, but I really don't. A lot of, uh, you know, a lot of things nuts. And she's like, oh yeah, bureaucracy. Oh, it's so awful. She's like, that's why when I came to China with all my paperwork, I was totally ready because it's the same. <laughs> and I was like, is that? <laughs> okay. Okay. So... Hopeful about everyone getting vaccinated and being able to travel. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. Well, Cass, uh, thank you so much for coming on and talking about Vietnam and uh, China and your, yeah. you know, the places you've been and the things you did there. Been a good time. <laughs> trying to remember all this, I'm like, oh my gosh, it was so long ago. But it wasn't. <laughs> but it wasn't. No, it was not. But it wasn't. Really, like, yeah. Last year. Yeah. But I was like, it's been so long since I've gone anywhere, like getting itchy. (laughs) Yeah, right? Hey, it's time for the show notes. Music, as always, is by Circle K. Uh, music, as always, is the song Circle K by King and Queen of the Losers. They are a phenomenal band based out of Boise. And thank you so much to Cass Kurt for letting me interview her. And thank you for listening. That's about it. I'll see you in two weeks uh, or potentially in November. We'll see. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>